the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, It is um, great to be with you. Uh, Please don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com to go and uh, sign up uh, there. You can sign up for our daily email, What You Need to Know, The Daily Wink as well as you can uh, see all these great interviews that are happening. Uh, in a few moments, we will talk with Alum Bakari. Alum Bakari, I, re- I referenced his um, article on big tech. I referenced it earlier in the week. He's over at Breitbart.com. He will give us uh, a view for how he thinks uh, big tech is ramping up uh, to make a mess of the fall elections. Uh, interesting to hear the concrete details in his article, which I referenced, uh, runs through them. So that'll be good to him. He's a good interview. He's a very good, good dude. Um, and also we'll talk again with Cheryl Chumley. You know, I, I think, you know, my listeners know I've been at this about five years on the great Salem radio network. And, um, I love to find people who I haven't heard doesn't mean they're not on on other places, but I haven't heard on and get them on frequently and figure out what they're about. This woman, Cheryl Chumley, is a great writer, very clear writer, writes uh, uh, columns and uh, writes over at Washington, the Washington Times, WashingtonTimes.com. Her uh, column runs periodically, I'd say at least once a week. But she also is the editor, the online editor over there. And she's written books and she wrote a book about just about 10 years ago, I guess maybe eight years ago, about how um, out of control the uh, police state was and the government was getting out of hand, uh, uh, taking away our liberties. Well, she could have written it like last week. It's pretty neat. So we'll talk with her in a few moments. Um, She wrote about two years ago about how Soros was going to impact our um, law enforcement by his money spent on prosecutors. And boy, was she right. So we'll see what else she has on our plate and what she's seeing going forward, uh, because uh, she may help us <laughs> see the future. That's one of the great things. All right. But here's what I have to tell you. What you need to know today. My segment is called Driving Mr. Biden. Driving Mr. Biden, like Driving Miss Daisy. Remember when Driving Miss Daisy was a hit um, years ago now? And if you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. And it's uh, it's um, really, really a wonderful movie about... Um, uh, about the relationships, friendship between um, between an older woman who is, um, I guess she's probably in her 90s, uh, played by Jessica Tandy, and then also um, Morgan Freeman is the driver. And it came out in 1989. And it's kind of a comedy, but it's also kind of a sweet film because it's uh, showing about the end of life, older age and all. And it's really cool. It's really, really well done. And uh, and But... Uh, it's used as a metaphor. People say it all the time uh, and about, you know, kind of I'm, I'm using it in the sense that what's who's driving Mr. Biden? Who, what's driving him? Who's who's running this government? What you need to know is we've never had a situation where we didn't know who was in charge. At this point, we don't know if it's Jill Biden. We don't know if it's Ron Klain, the chief of staff. We don't know if it's the do- domestic security advisor, Susan Rice. We don't know who's in charge. Is it, uh, is it, uh, what's his name? The, uh, uh Jake, um, oh, I'm going to say Jake Swimmer. That's not right. The, the guy who is the national security advisor. 
Jake Sullivan, is that his name? I don't think it's him, obviously, but who's running things? Who's negotiating? Who's who's taking care of all this stuff? Because it's obviously not Joe Biden anymore. It's obvious he's now maybe it never was. Let's be honest. I've told you before that making senators, U.S. senators, you know, 50 years in the Senate, I guess, in the vice presidency is a little different. But so 40 some odd years in the, in the Senate, these are not exactly executives, because while they may have a staff of 10 or 15 up to 20, I bet they don't really have much to do. They don't have to produce anything. They don't have to exe- you know, executives in any significant way. And frankly, anything you want to do. When you're a senator, you can do anything you don't want to do. You can't do. You don't have to do. They don't make you. So now you have a president. He, he, he clearly he likes to exercise. Biden likes to exercise. He's very fit. He he seems to uh, you know uh, do that regularly. I can't imagine he's not um, you know exercising every single day. But other than that, I don't know if he. I don't know what he does for his job. I don't know who's in charge. We've never seen anything like this. Now we've got the Fed raising interest rates again to try to manage the economy. We've got bad numbers again, inflation numbers that came out in the last 24 hours. I mean, the economy is on, it's not quite on life support because aspects of it are still going okay. I mean, there's enough jobs and all, but the basics are off and we've got another massive spending bill that's about to happen. We've got all these things happening in the world. Who's in charge? What's happening? I've never felt as uneasy as I do now because I don't know who's in charge. And you could say, I guess if you go back, someone would tell me, well, Ed, you know, you were only in your early, you were only in your, your teens when Ronald Reagan was in office, but it seemed like there were some people that were more in charge than I, I think we knew though, didn't we? And didn't we sort of set in, maybe with James Baker? I don't know. It's partly the impression that uh, uh, Biden gives, but do we really have a sense of who's in charge and what the agenda is? And let me tell you, I believe that the same people that decided that they could run Joe Biden as a basement candidate, not go out, not campaign and win. And they did the same people, whatever they did. I mean, they ended up in the in the office are thinking they could do it again. And here's what I want you to know, what you need to know. It's if the people can run the country and run an election and get their guy in office, why would they stop? Explain to me why they would stop. Why wouldn't they do it again? Why wouldn't they do it again? Why won't they do the same thing? And if it's Donald Trump running for president, which I hope it is, and I think it will be, they're going to say, watch, we'll beat him again. I think that's what you're going to see. I don't think you're going to see Joe Biden step away. And again, the question should be not, is he not going to run? The question should be, who's in charge? Who's in charge? What are we getting? What are we getting? That's what we need to know. That's what we we ought to be asking. And if the um, if the uh, if the Republicans win, if the Republicans win in the fall, they should demand answers to those. They should an- demand answers. Who's doing what? Find out who's doing what. Find out who's in charge of what. That would be something. That would be a goal to get to the bottom of. That would be a big deal. I think it would make a big difference. I think the American people would like that. So we'll see. And again, I I we've got negotiations going on. Supposedly, uh, President Xi and Biden are getting on the phone. How's that going? How does that play out? Are you serious? Are we supposed to be good about that? 
the, the Russians are supposedly negotiating to let the uh, basketball player, the WNBA basketball player, and one other prisoner release in exchange. Now, I guess that's being done by Secretary of State, but I don't think you do that at the state level. I think you end up having a conversation between the presidents, don't you? And this Biden's going to be that guy. It's incredible. It's incredible. Really worrying. All right. Uh, in a few moments, we'll talk with Cheryl Chumley about uh, what's happening to our law enforcement uh, in the country because of Soros, her prediction, and more. We'll also talk with Alam Bakari. Alam Bakari is a writer over at Breitbart.com, and he wrote a piece on big tech. We'll check that out. And let me tell you, if you enjoyed, I got a couple emails from people. Carrie Severino from yesterday, the interview we did with her, you can go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and go there and you will find out exactly. You can play that again. We've got the link up there um, and you can see that. Do a search also where you, wherever you look for your podcast and all, and you'll see that uh, in yesterday's podcast also available. So we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. Don't forget, ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You have all heard me talking. Often the opening segment of the show is my bemoaning the power of the narrative machine, I call it. The narrative machine is big media and big government paired off with big tech. And big tech is one of the more dominant. So I was calling a friend of mine who has, uh, works at uh, Breitbart. Actually, she works in the uh, in the Breitbart in the back office, I guess. She's not out in the front side um, writing. And and we were talking about this and she said, oh, you got to talk to Alan Bakari because he's writing a piece. And it, it's about two days ago. And it came out yesterday on Breitbart.com. Big tech's blueprint to, blueprint to stop a red wave in 2022. For all of you that are thinking, hey, it sure looks like the issues favorite, favor a change in direction in the fall. Well, that may be so. But one of the largest um, and most influential pieces of the puzzle for yeah. having people know what's going on and who to vote for is big tech. And here we are. So anyway, I got Alan Bakari on with us from Breitbart.com. How are you, sir? Thank you for coming on. Hi, Ed. I'm doing good. Good to be back on the show. Well, thank you. And first, when you looked into this and you wrote this long piece, um, you say in the first line about the ever-tightening grip of big tech censorship. But when you looked closer at it, do they have a plan? Uh, is it the way they operate that will be stifling for we the people? Or is it a plan that recognizes that certain days in November are more, more important than the rest of the year? And we got to ramp up for that. I think they do have a plan. And I think the plan really began in the days after the 2016 election. Uh, I mean, we even saw this in the, uh, in the video we leaked with all the Google executives a couple of days after the election, making plans about how to stop it from happening again. That was the attitude of the entire establishment. And everything they've, everything that Silicon Valley has done since then, um, making rules about misinformation, installing fact checkers, uh, it's all been very clearly aimed at uh, this one purpose of controlling the narrative and uh, making what you call the narrative machine that much stronger. And it's so strong now that they can eliminate entire websites from Google search, which is what they, which is what Google did in, uh, to Breitbart in 2020 ahead of that election. Um, uh, so yeah, I think, I think this is something that they, that 
they've, they've been laying the groundwork for years and years. Uh, Alan Bakari, by the way, let me get his title right, Senior Technology Correspondent over at Breitbart News. He wrote a book. I think we had you on for that. The book was called Deleted, Big Tech's Battle to Erase the Trump Movement and Steal the Election. Um, within this piece that you recently wrote, I, I, I resurrected. I had forgot about it. The, the famous oversight board, the Facebook oversight board that was is or was supposed to review the choices they made. I think the oversight board uh, reviewed Donald Trump being kicked off, right? Is that right? And then they said, oh, yeah, you can do that or you can do it for a while or what? Uh, uh, but tell me about the, that oversight board and what you discovered. So the oversight board is Facebook's attempt to give a veneer of uh, legitimacy to their censorship. Uh, you know, it's obviously filled with anti-Trump people. It's filled with liberals, uh, you know, maybe one or two token, token rhinos. But uh, they did that. Purportedly, what they do is they review cases of suspensions and censorship and have the power to overturn it. And they've overturned one or two minor things, but nothing major. In the case of Donald Trump, they just kicked the can down the road. They're going to review it again uh, a year before the election. But uh, I don't think for a second that Facebook is going to reinstate Donald Trump. That sounds uh, <laughs> that's entirely contrary to yeah. what, what their goals are. Yeah. Uh, all right. Back up to some of these uh, specific things we have. We have um, this fact checking, right? This is the new thing is the they wanted to have a disinformation board within the government that was going to do, somehow do this. And so that would have been that would have fit my narrative machine again, where big government got involved. It looks like that was at least publicly. You don't see it publicly because it sort of was scared off a bit. But um, the, all these watchdog groups, right, all these supposedly independent uh, fact checking groups that are just, I mean, they're just constantly uh, going against the center-right, conservatives for sure, but the center-right in general. And more importantly, they just are deciding what's true and what's false. And, and my, my question, Alam, is not that they're doing that. It's that your point is they're ramping up, doing more. And I think your point is that it's more effective. They've learned how to do it. To, to, they don't need to tell you that they're uh, silencing you, Breitbart, for example. They just need to make it so you don't show up in the search engine or show up on the feed, right? And uh, that, that has been the goal of uh, the, the, the misinformation industry, which really didn't exist before 2016. It's entirely a post-2016 phenomenon. Um, and, you know, it, it, no one is really safe from this. They're, they're get, we just saw NewsGuard, which is one of these establishment, uh, establishment misinformation watchdogs. They just downgraded Fox News so that, you know, if you have NewsGuard installed in your browser, you're going to see a big red warning label next to every Fox News let, uh, link around the Internet. So they did it to Breitbart News as well and many other conservative sources. And that's a, uh, that's a, a misinformation watchdog. They have this browser app. Uh, they partnered with the teachers' union. So it's going to be in millions of classrooms. Um, so it really is everywhere. Um, back to the question, you, you know, you're, you're, you're a, a tech journalist. So you live in this space more than, than I do or than most do. Um, uh, now that you see the, the, the tools they have, how, how well can they control what, what, what people, I, I, I'll, I'll, let me tell you the, 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 the dance I go through. I say they control what you see, which controls or influences what you know, and then uh, that controls and influences what you do, right? So that's the sort of flow. How strong are the tools they're using? 
wrong. I mean, if you're uh, if you think about local political races, if you're googling a candidate and you only see negative stories about that candidate, you're going to be less likely to vote for them. And you know that's the real the real danger is not to uh, to people who have already made up their mind. Republicans are going to vote Republican, Democrats are going to vote Democrat. The real danger is undecided voters. Uh, especially uh, low information on decided voters who are trying to find new information. Uh, if if the uh, if the Democrats and their allies control access to information, that it's not going to go very well for Republicans. Now, the one thing they ha- that Republicans have in their favor is that all the stuff that's not on the internet. I mean, they can't control uh, the price of gas. They can't control right. inflation. Uh, and you know, people are going to see that. And they're going to think about who's in charge. So it's not that Republicans can't win in November. I think they actually have a very good chance of winning. But uh, I don't believe people should think it's inevitable just because uh, things are going so badly in the economy. And the reason it's not inevitable, in my view, is because of the uh, the absolute chokehold they have over the flow of information at the moment. Uh, again, uh, Alan Bakari is our guest, senior technology correspondent at Breitbart News, uh, Breitbart.com. Um, yes, but watch this one. The, the idea of recession where for, you know, for decades and all, if you had two uh, months in a row of, of, uh, of lack of growth or two quarters, maybe it is, it, it was called a recession. And there's this for three days because they knew they were coming to the point where this was going to be publicly known. The administration by accounts of journalists were pressuring journalists and others to say, call it something different, say we're in a different time. The economy's changed. It's not a recession. If you're a normal person, you're mad about the cost of of uh, of gas you're, you're mad about the cost of milk. That's true. But you also are influenced by what you hear. So the message I hear right now is gas prices are going down. They've been saying that the last 32 days going down a little bit at a time. And it's not really a recession. It's just a transition. Again, I'm not saying it works on you and me. I'm saying it works on other parts of America. If the controller of who sees what and therefore knows it, is clearly in the tank. That's why I say in the piece, you know, this red wave people are talking about is actually not inevitable. And it's a sign of how tightly they control the media that they're able to do that, you know, which, as I said, they've never done before. Uh, Trying to claim a recession is not really a recession. Um, And, uh, you know, that's how tightly they control the media. Um, and yet they even have they even have a bill in Congress and the Senate to, to bail out the media, which they've gotten Republicans to sign on to. It's called the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, and that would force tech companies to prop up the media by giving them more revenue and creating this media cartel. So you know that's another example of them laying the groundwork, just making sure all the institutions they have that control the flow of information uh, yeah. are uh, are supported. It's a, we're talking, again, Alan McCarry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm running out of time, but it, you've got to read this piece because and I, I hope you're going to do more on it. You should write a book on this, I think, or do uh, more because I, I just think people don't quite realize uh, how powerful the pieces are. It's not if you look at the if you look at one of them, you go, oh, well, that's kind of there's, you know, there's uh, this NPR is doing some sort of misinformation bureau. OK, but you put them all together, the mosaic together. And it's um, it's a lot of control for uh, uh, people that don't seem to have the same kind of interest as we do. So, hey, Alan Bakari, thank you again. I'll put it up on social media. We'll have you back again. It was too long. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Ed. All right. 
Yep. We'll take a break, everybody. And we'll be right back. Don't forget over at proamericareport.com. Uh, I'll post this, uh, our, this uh, story and others and the links. Uh, be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. And so I was just uh, telling her off the air, uh, Cheryl Chumley is uh, is one of my new favorite authors. I've gone back reading her stuff and I, I will bring this up to her. Um, she was over at the Washington Times. She herself is a writer as well as a, I think the online editor is the right term. And, and she has her own website. There's a lot of she's a great writer and very helpful. And more importantly, I used to say, Cheryl, about the late Phyllis Schlafly, as a writer, that's one thing, but looking, finding the issues that are going to be important, not just the day you're writing it, but a week later or two weeks later or, or, or even longer is really the challenge. So that's what brings me to you, Cheryl. We had Cheryl Chumley on a few weeks ago, uh, but there, you wrote a piece almost two and a half years ago about Soros and talking about Soros and what he was doing. Well, we're two and a half years later and we've reaped what he sowed in, 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 in San Francisco, in St. Louis, from where I'm from, the, the district attorneys. I think people forget he had a plan, George Soros's money, about 15 to 18 years ago. It was called the Secretary of State's Project, where he went and funded uh, people like Robin Carnahan, who ran in Missouri, where I was from. And she was very, very uh, left wing. And, and, but you were all like, wow, what is this? Then it turns out she had a same, very similar set of proposals that she did like others across the country. So first of all, welcome back, Cheryl. And uh, thanks for coming on. And maybe more. Tell me, when you wrote the piece about Soros, I know everybody knew him then, but it's really kind of become clearer now, two and a half years later, right? Yeah. Uh, first off, Ed, thank you so much for having me back. It's great to be with you. And um, I'm a big fan of your organization anyhow. Well, and as, as far as George Soros goes, yes, he, he had a plan years ago, which was really very clever when you think about it. Instead of funneling all this money into federal races, into uh, House and Senate seats, which of course he does um, as well. But you can have a much more immediate impact if you go local. And so George Soros started funneling money through his various paths and so forth into local district attorneys races, into uh, local local seats that determine, <clears throat> excuse me, determine the direction of how law enforcement and the justice system will go forth. And this has an immediate impact. And we are reaping what George Soros has sown in terms of legal systems around America and local communities turning their backs on crime and instead supporting the criminal element. So again, when you read this piece, it is like, it's, I mean, again, it's from, I think January of 2000, maybe. And so it's, yeah, January 2000, it's kind of prescient, you know, looking out because all sort of come true, but here's my over, I mean, meaning, meaning that he ran races in DA one day races in DA and then had uh, in DA, excuse me, district attorney races and other things and ended up with people in key positions. So you end up with, and I assume she was supported by the Soros money, but I don't know for sure, but I'll, I'll just say the example in my head is that Michigan Attorney General, before there was a reversal of Roe, before Dobbs was uh, was announced, she said, I won't enforce that. I won't. I will not enforce a law on the books passed and signed by the governor that bans abortion. I won't do it. Now, there's a difference between discretion, prosecutorial, prosecutorial discretion, which our system has always allowed. And it's, it's a, a sense of, hey, how you charge and what you charge. There's a judgment and not 
actually upholding the law. And, and my point here is Soros ends up with not a reformed system, but a broken system so that you look up in San Francisco and you say, wait, we passed laws. There are laws, but they won't enforce them. And you start to say, which I think many Americans are saying, not just that there's two tiers. If you're Hillary, you get Hillary, you get away with it. If you're Bannon, you don't. But but that's one thing. But they just look up and say the system, which we were told was so important, constitution, rule of law, it just doesn't work. It's not working anymore. And well, what do we do? And I think that's the other part of it. It's not he, he actually is undercutting. He has undercut confidence in the in the legal system at the heart of America. Yes. And, and that's the long term peril, right? That's right. the long term ramifications. And, it, you know, I, I wrote about George Soros in a couple of my books, and I actually traced a lot of the funding that he put into various local seats around the country. And first off, it's very difficult to trace because it's not just George Soros to such and such a candidate. It's George Soros tied money through his Open Society Foundation. And it's 50 PACs that he actually established in, in about every state to take on law enforcement reform, to take on justice uh, system reform. And by reform, it's not just that George Soros wants to do away with the, uh, the death penalty, which is one of his stated goals. But he actually, as you rightly point out, wants to undercut and destroy the constitutional system in America. And he has done that very successfully in some communities so much that even your vote doesn't do away with much of his leftist influence. And this is the danger to America when you start to lose faith in the electoral process and simultaneously you lose faith in the justice system. And in many areas of the country, this is what he has done. Uh, Cheryl Chumley is our guest. If you go to CherylChumley.com, you can see her book. So this, I, I was actually... I was actually sort of stunned when I saw this in 2014, you wrote a book, you published a book, you wrote it the years before, I assume called police state USA, how Orwell's <laughs> nightmare is becoming our reality. And at the time you had Congressman Louis Gohmert to the forward. And I, I don't know when Louis got to Congress, but he, he's not one of these swamp guys. That's been up here 30 years. He's been up here maybe 10 or 12. I don't know, but, but, uh, but we, we could talk another time, uh, Cheryl, about what a loss it is that he's no, no, he's leaving office in January. He didn't run for reelection to the house, but, but back to this book, police state USA um, in 2014. Uh, it, it's um, and here we are after we saw what happened with COVID and all the rest. And you wrote about that too. Um, what what is it when you now look at this? You wrote about Soros. You wrote these things. What happens to our uh, legal system if if people's confidence is undermined? If if millions of Americans look up and they say, um, "I don't understand what the January six prisoners are. They look like me. They might be like me. I didn't. I've never hit a cop, but if I trespassed, I wouldn't expect to be in jail for eighteen months waiting trial. Um, if you're if you're young and you're other other you know African American, you're saying the system doesn't work. What happens if more and more of the country don't believe in the le- in the in the legal system? I mean, uh, where do we go? Yeah, because America is based on limited governance, right? Yeah a constitutional system, and rule of law. So if you crumble rule of law, it's utter chaos. And then that's when you start to usher in this type of government that's more banana republic in, in type, which is where we're at now. 
we have lost, and we saw this under Donald Trump. Donald Trump was very um, dead on, uh, hit, hit the nail on the head when he called out the deep state. And a lot of even conservatives didn't like that phrase, and they found it offensive. But the longer he served, the more you saw these nefarious forces in what was supposed to be the unbiased uh, branch of government, the, the law enforcement, the FBI, and, and so forth, being weaponized against the American citizenry and actually rising above rule of law. And you saw video after video of some of these uh, so-called law enforcement agents uh, just bypassing the the process of law and order that we're all supposed to live under, the blind justice process, and just stormtroop into people's homes along with CNN camera crews and do these uh, do, do these uh, arrests that were then publicized. And the American people were starting to cheer about it. But what happened to that concept in America that you are innocent until proven guilty? And that's what happens when you start to have a crumbled law enforcement and justice system. That concept gets tossed to the side and suddenly we become more like a police state where we're all regarded slightly guilty, possibly guilty, instead of being given and awarded that concept of innocence. Uh, Cheryl, I mean, I, I hope you're writing more. I mean, I hope you're writing more because, I mean, again, I, I, and I, so I, I want to transition to this. We're talking with Cheryl Chumley and, and CherylChumley.com. You can see all of her books because I, I got to say them out loud, Cheryl. Another one is called The Devil in D.C., uh, which is um, uh, from, uh, I don't know what year you'll tell me, the country, the, say, winning back the country from the beast in Washington, which is, again, perfect. And then Socialists Don't Sleep. Christians must rise or America will fall, which is right there. And then even more important, the way that we talked about, this is when you were on the show before with uh, lockdown, the socialist plan to take away your freedom. I guess the question, Cheryl, is from the standpoint of a writer now, you can see the, the breadth of the history and the founding and all the path back because the, you know, the path to take, to get things back in the right direction, you know, Trump wins. I'll never forget. I had an interview on the radio show of a guy that uh, watches the UN. And he said, I got to tell you, Ed, he said, we were just making headway in year three of Trump and then he lost and it's all been reversed in 10 minutes, you know, in terms of getting sort of a voice there and not being, you know, the craziness of the UN. And I thought, so w winning back or getting back on the right track, Cheryl, when, this is the big, big uh, problem for me. Big tech and big media are now aiding the government. So you don't actually have to just fight the government. You now have to fight all of the media, the big media cable and all that, which are sophisticated in what they're doing. They're less sophisticated than big tech. Big tech is using neuroscience to change the way we actually our heads are and our kids heads are. What's the way back? Well, the only <laughs> worldview that, that, that works nowadays is to be Christian first, conservative second, right? Because if you look at where this country is right now and is where it is rapidly headed down a path of destruction, it's overwhelming. If you're an American patriotic citizen, it's very difficult to fight these evil forces that are infiltrating every facet of American life, education, economy, government, society, uh, the, the culture, and so forth. So what you do is you end up playing this whack-a-mole fight all day long, right? You, you run candidates for the school board to drive out the 
transgender agenda. And then here comes the left with uh, more more fight in that avenue. And then you, you try and fight the culture by fighting back with uh, movies in Hollywood that actually advance a, a moral perspective. And then here comes Hollywood again with more that drowns your voice out. So the only hope for America is what made America great in the first place. And it is the idea that our rights come from God, not government. And in order to keep that concept in place, we need to turn back to God as a nation. And I know a lot of Christians in America in particular were praying before the 2016 election for Donald Trump to win, for Hillary Clinton to lose. And when Donald Trump won, a lot of Christians breathed easy and they thought, yay, we have a a little breathing room now. Well, it's not enough just to win the political seats. We also have to fight for the things that put God back on our side, right? Because God won't be mocked in the end. And so, yes, maybe we will win politically here and there, but that's not the long-term success of America. The long-term success of America is the Judeo-Christian principles, the idea our individual rights are bestowed by a creator and government is only there to preserve and protect them. So the solution for that is to ignite the churches, fire up the churches, and get the Christians out of the corner and start putting back the secular atheist forces that have convinced too many in this country that our nation needs to have a separation of church and state, which is not exactly the founding fathers envisioned. Yeah, I, I mean the good news is it, it, the good news is uh, Cheryl Chumley's our guest again. CherylChumley.com. The good news is the Lord can do whatever He wants, and and He's got all power. And so when it feels to us, you and me, like oh my gosh, how do we do this? Like how do we ignite a new uh, revival, a new you know a, a new awakening? How does that? Well, the Lord's gonna have to do it anyway. So we want to just start with that. But it uh, certainly seems daunting. I you know I I I had on a um, sort of a libertarian on this stuff, and he was like, oh well, you know it'll even out eventually. You know, big tech will have. You know, Facebook will get a challenger. I said, well, in what universe will you get a challenger? But, you know, you're not, it's not like, this is not like um, the, the corner, uh, the, the quick trip, uh, the corner store getting a new gas station to compete. This is, this is changing our brains. So, uh, but the Lord's going to do what he wants to do. Cheryl Chumley, I've got to run. Cheryl Chumley, uh, Cheryl Chumley.com. She writes over at the Washington Times. She's the online editor over there also. So check out her stuff and, and, and please keep writing and, and get your next book. Like, cause you're seeing down the field further than most of us. So it's very helpful. Thank Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Ed. God bless. All right. God bless you. We'll take a break, everybody. And we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Polling data does not support what the globalists are doing to our country. A CBS News poll reveals an astounding 69% of Americans say that our economy is fairly bad or very bad, most of whom choose the very bad description. By a 53 to 47% margin, Americans disapprove of how Joe Biden is handling the Russia-Ukraine war. And by a 70 to 30% margin, Americans disapprove of Biden's handling of inflation. Fully 74% of Americans feel things are going somewhat or very badly. The U.S. Constitution requires a two-thirds vote in the Senate in order to ratify any treaty, including the current proposal, favored by globalists, to expand NATO to include Finland and Sweden. This treaty clause in the Constitution is the provision most hated by the globalists, 
and there should be a conservative opposition to any attempt to ratify treaties that entangle us further in the European conflicts. Yet, Senator Mitch McConnell and the attendees of the World Economic Forum don't seem to have gotten the memo. Democrat Party voters are also toppling the globalists, by the way. The establishment preferred Democrat candidate for Senate in Pennsylvania lost by a landslide 33 points to a tattooed stroke victim whom no one would mistake for a globalist. In Oregon, globalism supporter and seven-term Democrat representative Kurt Schrader apparently lost to a school board member who criticized D.C. politicians for not addressing American needs. Incumbents were also surprisingly defeated in state legislative races in Kentucky and Pennsylvania. Challengers are emphasizing how out of touch congressmen are today. Joe Biden and congressional leadership seem intent on sending endless cash overseas to places like Ukraine without any accountability. And they're focusing on expanding NATO to provoke still more military conflict. No matter how powerful globalists may be, they are no match for a determined and well-organized group of American patriots. It's up to us to take a stand. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. As leader of the free world, America has a responsibility to stay strong in economics, industry, morality, and military capability. Never hesitating to say, America first. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll see why the best foreign policy begins with a strong America. Join the conversation at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, wrapping things up today, let me do a little a conversation here. Um, Clarence Thomas, uh, I mentioned earlier in the wink, well, what you need to know, that I was um, reminded of Breitbart, Andrew Breitbart. And I went back to look at an interview that I remember Andrew Breitbart did um, with Peter Robinson of the Hoover Institution. When Peter Robinson does those great interviews where he... Um, you know, talks kind of uh, like Charlie Rose, but uh, Peter Robinson and conservatives. And it's a great interview. Uh, and uh, one of the things in there that um, uh, Andrew Breitbart, it's 11 years ago. So it was in, in 20, uh, it was in 2011, 2011. And Andrew Breitbart um, references the fact that the media goes after Clarence Thomas. That they, they, they always go after Clarence Thomas, he says. And he's like, you know, it's just outrageous. They go after Clarence Thomas. This guy's accomplished and all. And flash forward all the way to today. And over the weekend, uh, we had um, Adam Schiff, the congressman from California, go on TV and basically admit, in basically, all, all intents and purposes, he admitted that they're um, trying to subpoena or trying to force Ginny Thomas, the longtime wife of Clarence Thomas, to testify before the select committee, the January 6th uh, show trial committee. And he basically admitted we're do, they're doing it because of everything that's gone on and, and what role she played and meaning broadly the impact of her on her husband's job, not whether she was involved in January 6th, but whether there was interactions between her and her husband or something like that. He basically said, now think about what that means. That means that Congress is targeting a Supreme court justice and his relationships because they don't like him. 
And he's been around now for all these years, 25 years or so, not more than that, 30 years ago, almost 30, you know, on the Supreme Court for 30 plus or just about 30 years uh, and um, coming up on 30 years. I guess it was in uh, 1991, a little bit more than 30 years um, and coming up on 32 years. But in the public eye, as a judge on the D.C. uh, Circuit Court of Appeals and as the head of the EOC, probably for 40 years, close to it. And so. This Congress thinks it's okay to target a Supreme Court justice and his relationships because they don't like him. Not because that they there's any there's no facts that are presented. They're just fishing. And they're fishing in the direction of the interactions, how the court functions, et cetera, et cetera. Now, my point here is that these people are so willing to drive down the respect for the institutions. It's breathtaking. It's bre- and the fact that the media isn't all over Adam Schiff for what he's talked about and how he talked about it is crazy to me. It's crazy to me, and yet they're not. And so leave Clarence Thomas and his wife alone, for goodness sakes. I mean, at this point, it is completely out of control, completely out of control what they're doing and how they're doing it. And we ought to all be up in arms, really. I mean, imagine. I mean, imagine if you were targeting... I don't know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg for her interactions with her husband. I think he was a lawyer too. And what he was doing and, and where they were, what they, how they were talking to people about conservative policies. Or, or I mean, it's just crazy. It's, it's beyond the pale. All right, we've got to run. I want to say thank you, as always, to the great Noah Dingley, our producer. Thank you to uh, uh, Joanna Spilger, our associate producer. Thank you for listening. And we will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin right here on the Pro-America Report. Thank you for listening. Visit ProAmericaReport.com to sign up for our daily email. And we will talk tomorrow. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.